1 through 10. That's John 10, verses 1 through 10. Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the, the doorkeeper's doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they do not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most surely I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever come or came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not hear him. I am the door. If, any, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Really appreciate Tommy reading all of those that passage. I, I kind of wanted to get that whole picture before you, and it is my ambition uh, to not make the lesson as long as the scripture reading. But uh, I, I appreciate him reading exactly what we ask him to read. And, and you keep your uh, Bible open to that passage, if you will. This is, is a very familiar passage of scripture. I think we all agree with that. And yet it's set in a context that we may not be altogether familiar with. And it's my ambition today also to remedy that uh, this morning and tonight. I'll let you know, if you have not uh, picked up a bulletin, that this is the first of a two-parter. We're going to kind of build a foundation for some things that we want to talk about in terms of application tonight. But the reality is, through Old and New Testament, you'll find constant allusions to sheep and shepherds. And if you don't, if you don't get that, especially in light of the ten verses that Tommy just read, if you don't understand what the spiritual application to this illustration is, then it's going to kind of go over your head and you're not going to fully appreciate what Jesus was trying to get his disciples in the first century to understand. And we're certainly not going to be able to understand what it is he wants us to know. And so this morning I want us to kind of lock in on that illustration. And even though we've heard about sheep and shepherd all of our lives, we're not the agrarian society we used to be. And so we don't always understand a great deal about sheep. Uh, much less about sheep and their relationship to their shepherd as it uh, might have been in Bible times. And so uh, if you look at verse 6, I think that text kind of describes some of us when it says they did not understand the things that he spoke to them. And let's make sure we understand what Jesus is talking about in terms of the spiritual application of these principles. I want to remind you about some basic things concerning a shepherd and his sheep. So this is going to be uh, shepherding... 101, okay? I mean, we're just really going to break it down this morning and, and talk about some things that I think 
will help us to understand spiritual truths. That doesn't mean that I'm any kind of expert on this subject, but what I'm sharing with you today you can learn on the Internet or in any good Bible commentary. Two things I want us to understand, first of all, about sheep and shepherds. And specifically about the sheep themselves. First of all, and you may know all of this, but this is a, a look at this as a review. Sheep are defenseless. Again, you don't have to be a shepherd yourself. You don't ever have to have owned a sheep or even had lamb chops for, for dinner uh, to know that sheep are basically defenseless. They don't have sharp uh, claws. They don't have sharp teeth. They don't have uh, anything with which to defend themselves. That's not a part of how they're built. They're not aggressive animals. Sheep are basically very docile. Dogs and roosters can be trained to fight, but you can't train a sheep to fight because that's not their nature. And you may have seen signs somewhere, you know, in people's yards that say, beware of dogs. Or in the, in the mountains, you may see a sign that says, beware of the bears. Or if you're playing uh, golf in Florida, you may see a sign that says, beware of alligators. Well, even maybe in Montgomery these days. But you'll never see a sign ever that says, beware of sheep. And that's for a very good reason. That's because sheep are not fierce animals. They're, they're defenseless. In fact, the only real defense mechanism, and this is a part, I think, of this picture that we kind of have to compositely put together this morning. The only real defensive mechanism that a sheep has in the face of danger is to run. So there is no defense to it. They're, they're just running away from whatever it is that might endanger them. The second thing that we need to know about sheep, and, and if you're already putting in your mind the fact that the spiritual illusion is that we are the sheep and that this is not very complimentary, you're right about that. Sheep are not really intelligent animals. When danger comes, they often don't know when it is that they need to run. Uh, they don't know where they need to run. I've, I've read about some sheep that actually will run into the danger. Sheep have been known to run into the midst of a fire and actually destroy themselves. Or they've been known to follow another sheep right over a cliff to their doom. Sheep are not gifted with natural intelligence or instinct. So they don't even know how to find their own food and water. And that's why this close, almost intimate relationship between shepherd and sheep is so imperative in Scripture for us to understand. Sheep are not gifted with that natural intelligence. They can easily wander off, not be able to find their way back, and, and not even have the intellectual prowess to be able to understand, hey, I'm lost. And so they don't even have that kind of awareness. And that's why you constantly read these uh, references in Scripture to the fact that the shepherd has to go and to find the sheep. We even have a song about it. There were 90 and 9, you know, and, and the one sheep is the one that the shepherd had to go and find and bring back. Well, all of that is because sheep are not overly intelligent. And because they're defenseless, they need that constant supervision, and that's where the shepherd comes into play. Now, the shepherd watches over the sheep continually. What I'm saying is that in the first century world, in Bible times, even in the Old Testament, that if you, had, if you put down shepherd as your occupation on an application somewhere, you, you would inherently have a lot of overtime. That is, if you were responsible for a flock of sheep, then you had to constantly supervise them and watch over them. And the shepherd is on his guard all the while because he's watching for potential danger for the flock. That makes sense in light of what we've already talked about. They are basically defenseless. And they're not intelligent enough to know, hey, there's danger approaching. And so he has to be, the shepherd has to be vigilant to be sure that no sheep will stray away from the flock and become lost. And he pays particular attention to his surroundings to be sure that there are no predators out there 
waiting for one of the wandering sheep. In fact, you may remember in the Old Testament that when David wanted to fight Goliath and someone basically asked him for his resume, one of the things he said that when he was tending sheep that he had to fight off a lion and a bear. Well, that is not uncommon. That is something that a shepherd kind of had to do as a part of their job description. If there was some predator out there waiting for one of the sheep, or for all the sheep for that matter, it was the shepherd was the first line of defense. He had to be the one that would literally put his life on the line for the sake and for the welfare of his sheep. Then there are some things that we need to know about the shepherd and the sheep together as a, as a dynamic. Sheep have two primary purposes. One is for meat. If you've ever had lamb chops, you understand what that means. And the other one is, is for their wool. Now, it seems if you go back to Bible times, the purpose of wool was a lot more important than it was for the meat that you might get from a lamb that had been slaughtered and then put on the dinner table. So it wasn't uncommon for the shepherd to keep the, the flock year after year. And, and guess what? Once the, the sheep has been sheared, it grows back. And so he would shear the sheep, get the wool from it, keep the same sheep in his flock, a little bit later, they would be able to come back and, and shear it again and get the wool and, and go to market. And the cycle repeats over, rinse and repeat constantly is what the shepherd was doing. And over that long period of time, and I think this has some spiritual significance to the illustration. The Bible says, and, and at least implies by, by talking about this sheep-shepherd relationship, that, that relationships would begin to develop. That is, the shepherd would even begin to name each of his individual sheep. That makes sense, too. We name our dogs the first day we get them. We name our cats. We name our pets. And so if you've got a sheep in, in your flock that has been with you for years, then the shepherd is going to start naming. Usually they would name them from some physical characteristic. Maybe one has a floppy ear. Maybe one of them has a different kind of coloring to it. Maybe one of them has a funny way of running. And so the shepherd would choose that physical characteristic and name that sheep accordingly. And he would keep calling these sheep by name until they finally came to recognize their own name. Don't miss that. And secondly, they would also begin to recognize the voice of their shepherd. There's some allusion to that in our text, and we're going to go back to that in just a moment. There were also two kinds of sheepfolds where the sheep were kept at night. The first was a community or communal sheepfold that would be located in a village or a town. Now, during the cooler season, the shepherd kept his sheep near the village, and at night he comes to take his flock, and he would put them in the community sheepfold. Now, if you're thinking, that's getting a little complicated because there's going to be more than one shepherd that's going to use the community sheepfold, then you're exactly right about that. But hang with me for a moment. I'm going to give you some explanation on that. Now, that sheepfold would be relatively large with a strong door, and usually the perimeter fence would be made out of stone. And then on the top of that stone fence, guess what they would do? They would put briars all around on the top of the fence. That would do two things. Number one, it would keep the sheep from crawling over the fence. Think of that as kind of a first century razor wire sort of mechanism. And that's what it did. And the second thing it would do is to keep thieves who wouldn't think anything about jumping a stone wall and stealing some sheep or harming them in some way. It would keep them out. So it would keep the sheep in and keep any kind of predator or some thief out. So one shepherd would put his flock in the pen. And then, uh, then another shepherd would come along with his flock, put them in that same pen, and then another and another until all the sheep were in that pen mixed together. 
You're thinking, how do you tell what sheep belongs to what shepherd? Ear tags. No, I'm just kidding. That hadn't been invented yet. The sheep knew the shepherd's voice. They became so familiar with each other. And knowing the sheep and the shepherd, and again, this has tremendous spiritual import. At night, a watchman would watch over all of those sheep, and it might be four or five or even six flocks that are all mixed together in that community sheepfold, and only the watchman, watch this, only the watchman had a, a key to the door of that sheepfold. And no one else could enter the sheepfold except the shepherd known to him. Anyone else was likely going to be a thief. Now, early the next morning, one by one, the shepherds would come to claim their sheep, the watchman would open the gate. The shepherd would begin to call his sheep by name. Can you, env can you envision that in biblical times? Here he is calling their names. They recognize his voice. They would hear their name. They would, they would know the voice of, of their shepherd. And they would follow their shepherd back out into the fields to graze. So among all of those mixed herds of sheep, each one then began to separate themselves when they heard their shepherd's voice. That's the kind of fold that Jesus was talking about, by the way, in the first five verses of our text. He's talking about a community sheepfold for which there's only one door, one gate, and only one person who has a key that has access to that door. It's imperative that we appreciate that part of this biblical illustration. But then there was a second kind of fold that we need to know about to fully understand a sheep and his shepherd. There was a temporary sheepfold that was far away from town. What if you couldn't get back into town where the community sheepfold was found? Well, you may do with what you had. You would create somewhat of a temporary sheepfold out in the fields, away from town. It was too far to get back to town during the warm season in particular. The shepherd would take the sheep away from the village and towns. Where would a shepherd take his sheep? Well, wherever there was grass. If they, they had grazed one field one day, he would have to go farther out the next day. And he may have his flock on the hillside. They may be down in the valley. And he might be gone with the sheep for, for weeks at a time. And at night, he would enclose the sheep in that fold that he had built. And he would build it with whatever materials he could find. Sometimes it might be made of stone. Sometimes it would be made of pieces of wood. And sometimes it would be a composite of both of those things. And that kind of fold would simply be enclosing a space with a small entrance. Watch this carefully. And there would be no door to the entrance of that kind of temporary sheepfold. So during the night, the shepherd would actually stretch himself out and lie down in the door, in the opening of that sheepfold, across the opening. So there was a sense in which, think back to our text, there was a sense in which the shepherd literally becomes the door or the gate to that fold. And for the sheep to enter or to depart the sheepfold, they would have to pass over the shepherd's body. Question, what is it that is most readily going to wake you up at night? Answer, a sheep stepping on you. And that's exactly how that process worked. Don't think too deeply about it. But it is imperative that we understand that side of the analogy in order to understand the spiritual application. The, the, the shepherd himself became the gate. 
He was the door. No wonder we now understand Jesus referred to himself on various occasions, especially in sheep shepherd discussions, as the door to the flock. And that means there was no access to the shepherd, or to the sheepfold rather, than through the shepherd himself. And, and this was the kind of sheepfold that Jesus was talking about in verse 7. If you take a quick look at verse 7 in John chapter 10, when he referred to himself as the door or, or the gate, I think as the NIV calls him. Now with that kind of image before us, the lesson I think is very simple. And, and I would ask you to kind of peruse, if you will, we're not going to read it again, Tommy did a great job. Verses 1 through 10, tonight, Lord willing, we're going to look at verses 11 through 15 and talk about the application and what this means to us as disciples. But I just wanted to kind of build a foundation, some, some sheep blocks, as it were, this morning for us to understand where the spiritual application comes from and why it should mean so much to us. And I'm just telling you this morning that out of those 10 verses, it's the 10th verse that we recognize the very most. And yet sometimes I think that in our reading and maybe even in our Bible class discussions of John 10, 1 through 15, we read verse 10 as if it seems as if it's out of context. Why does all of a sudden the Lord say, a thief comes but to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Lord, I thought you were talking about sheep. Now you're talking about having life that overflows. I don't understand the connection between those two things. And maybe some of that is because we don't understand the spiritual analogy that Jesus is using here. So out of those verses, we really lock in on verse 10. And that's what I want us to do for the last few minutes this morning as well as tonight. People and preachers have quoted this verse over and over again. In fact, I've done that. How many times have you heard me quote John 10, verse 10? I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. I'll just go ahead and say, if I had a dollar for every time I've quoted that verse, I'd take you all out to lunch. You know what I'm talking about. So it's been a lot. And if we've been a part of the church at all, we've been exposed to verse 10. We know what it says. And, and here Jesus is telling us, now, you've got to be on guard against thieves and against robbers and those that would harm you and take your life. But I want you to know that you don't have anything to worry about with me. I am the true shepherd, and I am here only with your best interest at heart. I find that all over the world, people want the same things. And I think that when you came in here this morning, you had an, a, a good grasp with this fundamental truth. Everybody wants to be happy, don't they? Everybody wants to live a fulfilled life. And whenever I speak about John 10, verse 10, when I'm talking from this pulpit or somewhere else in a, in a meeting or a summer series, I have found that I've never met anyone who says, I am not the least bit interested in having life more abundant. No, everybody wants life. They, they want to live a fulfilled life. They want to live the kind of life that Jesus literally said overflows. I mean, your cup is not big enough to hold the kind of life that, that the Lord can offer you if only you will receive it. But it also requires that you be a sheep in his sheepfold. So it doesn't just mean, Lord, I'm willing to go be baptized and then you call me later because I don't want to be bothered until it's time for you to come, come back and receive me you know, in your kingdom. No, that's, it, it, we're talking about a very close relationship that we are taking on, that we are accepting. We are, in fact, embracing when we become New Testament Christians. I am a sheep. And I know that they're stupid. And I know that they're defenseless, but I, but I own that. 
because I am defenseless without the Lord looking after me. And I tell you what, I am not intelligent enough to always make the right decisions in my life. I think we could all say that about ourselves, couldn't we? So we need to own this sheephood thing, folks. And we need to realize how important it is that we accept this and say this ongoing relationship between the sheep and the shepherd is one that every one of us needs to take on ourselves and say, I want to do that. Because I realize that the only way that I'm ever going to have life and have it till it overflows if I accept the mantle of being a sheep and the Lord's shepherd. For one thing, people want life to the fullest possible measure. And they want it to last forever and ever. You look around us and, and you see this is true. I mean, just, just watch the commercials. And that tells you that people want to have life and have a fuller life. For example, in the field of medicine, we have a flourishing medical community. It thrives because people want to live. They want to live life to the fullest. And that means if I take this pill that I won't ache this way when I wake up in the morning, it means that I'll be able to do the things that I love to do and that I'll be able to live life to the fullest. Every three minutes, it seems, there's an ad on TV that advances the idea that if you take a particular kind of drug, you'll enjoy more and that you'll have a longer life than if you did not take that particular drug. In the promotion of health in general, we see pretty much the same thing. You can look all around and you can find health care products and health food stores stocked with vitamins and supplements and health clubs where people go and work out and exercise and get fit. How many infomercials have you seen promoting an exercise machine or some kind of vegetable juicer or some kind of weight loss pill, but all of them, bottom line, are promising us the same thing, to make life fuller and longer and richer and more enjoyable. If you take this product, use this drug, then you'll be healthier, you'll enjoy life more, and you'll be able to live life to its fullest. That's what Jesus was promising, by the way, in our text, verse 10. We all understand that. Look at our homes. Every year, our homes get a little more sophisticated, don't they? You see, my problem is I have three smart TVs in my house that are all smarter than me. That's my problem. And I'm confessing that to you this morning. It is amazing at the kind of appliances and, and entertainment pieces that we have in our houses each day, more conveniences, more electronics, and all of them are there to make life better and fuller for us, at least in theory. Part of the reason for that is that people want life to the very fullest, and they think that if we have these things in our homes and if we use them well, then we will, of course, it will help make life fuller for us. Don't you wish it were that easy? Just take the right supplements, the right pharmaceutical, have the right conveniences in our houses, drive the right car, and you will always have the life that you always long for. I'm here to announce to you this morning what you already know and fully understand. Life is not an infomercial. There is not some ready fix that all you got to do is to give them your credit card number and they'll respond by shipping you this product that will make your life full. Jesus says, no, it's, it's a little more complicated than that. But you know what? It's a whole lot better than that, too. What Jesus Christ offers each of us today, folks, cannot be found on a shelf somewhere. And it can't be found in an electronics store. It can't be found in the Montgomery Advertiser. 
It can only be found in this spiritual roadmap. And if we accept the mission, if we accept the assignment of being sheep in the Lord's sheepfold, then the Lord says there are going to be some things that will happen to you. And in this world, you will have tribulation. Remember John 16, 33. But I want you to know that through that whole journey, and especially at the end, you're going to have life until it overflows. I will make a grand adventure out of your life. And when you look back on retrospect, when you've lived the full span of life, Jesus is promising us that you will have zero regrets. And you will not ever, ever regret the decision that you made to follow Jesus Christ and to be a sheep in his fold. Now let me say at the very end here that there's nothing inherently wrong with wanting to live life to the fullest. I think if there was something wrong with that, and again I think we all agree that everybody in the world wants to have the abundant life. We want to live life to its fullest. We want to live it forever and ever. If there had been something wrong with that, I'm sure Jesus would not have made that a part of his offer here in verse 10. Instead, he would have corrected their misunderstanding and ours as well. I sincerely hope that you do want to live that full and rich life, one that goes on forever and ever. And with that, I want us to take us back to the statement of Jesus in John chapter 10. And that's where we're going to focus on, Lord willing, tonight. Jesus said that he came to give life and to give it in great abundance. But we need to know that that full and abundant life that Jesus promises does not have to do with, with medicine, with vitamins, with exercise, with fancier homes and cars. It has to do with our accepting the mission to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And when we hear the shepherd's voice... We're going to say for the rest of our lives, once we made that commitment and became a New Testament Christian, when we hear our Savior's voice in this word, we're going to immediately say, that's where I'm going to go. That's not just what I want to do. That is what I am committed to doing. I'm going to follow in his footsteps from this day forward. Now, there's some brand new Christians in the audience this morning. And then there's some of you that are veterans in the Lord's army. And you've been a Christian measured not just in years, but in decades. And you're to be commended for your spiritual tenacity. But wherever we are in our Christian walk, every one of us, and this is the, the message I want to communicate most fervently to you this morning, every one of us needs to daily accept the assignment that I am a sheep, just as, as John led us in these songs earlier, I am a sheep. And the Lord is my shepherd. And, and I'm ready to do that any way that he tells me to. I remember hearing a wonderful story about two preachers who were asked to speak on the same subject on a lectureship. And the subject was the 23rd Psalm. And even though they basically were given the same assignment, the person who was the director of this particular lectureship understood that all preachers look at things differently, and so they'll come with different windows of illustration, and, and they'll be a little bit different approach. They'll not be repeating the same material. The first of the men got up and delivered an oratorically perfect rendition of the 23rd Psalm. Its meaning to the original audience, its application to readers today, and I remind you, of course, that that's all about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's the premise of Psalm 23. He explained the various Hebrew words, explained the significance of their tense and their place in the context. The second man, much older, got up when it was his time to speak, told the audience and told the audience what it meant to be a sheep 
And to have a shepherd that loves you and will protect you and will provide for you on the hilltops of life as well as in the valley of the shadow of death. And he spoke of the spiritual confidence that comes in knowing that you can, make a, that you can have a shepherd that knows you and, and, and is in turn known by you. You will know his voice when you hear it. And when that man was finished, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. The entire audience was moved to tears by the power and the impact of his message about the 23rd Psalm. On the way out of the building, one man was heard asking another, what's the difference? What was the difference in those two messages? And the response was, one of those men knew the Psalm, the other man knew the shepherd. And my question as we sing the song of encouragement together this morning is, do you know the shepherd? Have you accepted his calling? Are you a part of his fold this morning? Are you, are you willing to listen to his voice? And have you done what he says that you need to do to be a part of his spiritual flock? Through faith, repentance, confession of Jesus as the Son of God and being baptized, you can become a part of his sheepfold and you can have the abundant life, the life that overflows starting right now while we stand and while we sing.